Hey queer friends, are you ready to be inspired? Welcome to season five of Coming Out and Beyond, a podcast that shares stories from the LGBTQIA community. Here's your host, Anne-Marie Zanzel. Hi, this is Anne-Marie Zanzel here. Welcome back to another episode of Coming Out and Beyond. I am so excited today to have Mallory, Mallory Kirsten here. She is a self-love and unstuck yourself coach, helping recovering people pleasers reclaim their pleasure and start living life in their ex- ex- authentic expression. Mallory, Mallory is an erotic blueprint coach in training and accelerated evolution practitioner in training. She is certified in sacred money archetypes, the spiral emotion clearing modality, and Akashic record reader. As the founder of the Expression Academy, Mallory helps budding entrepreneurs step into their uniqueness in order to excel in life and business. Mallory, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So Mallory's pronouns are she and they, and um, we're going to start the show today by asking Mallory the question I ask every guest on Coming Out and Beyond. Mallory, tell me your story. (laughs) (laughs) It's like such a big question. I know, isn't it? So tell me your queer story. Okay, great. Um, So my coming out, my timing, (laughs) my timing was really interesting timing. I came out the year that Barack Obama was up for election. And that was also the same year that in California, where I was living at the time, had Proposition 8 on the ballot. And mm-hmm. so if you didn't live in California or you weren't keeping up on California news, that was the gay marriage proposition uh, where I, I honestly assume because the, the message I got growing up about voting is that if you don't understand the proposition, vote no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the way that that proposition was written was to essentially ban gay marriage. So it required an already been approved. Yes. And so it was trying to ban it again. And so it required a yes vote, a majority yes vote in order for that to happen. And I assumed that we had that in the bag. And Mm -hmm. I just remember I was newly out and I was so heartbroken. but you find out who your friends are with stuff like that. I, you know, I, I was out, it was on the ballot and I had several conversations with people in my life that I ended up just letting go of because Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, that's, that's just not an area that we can agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's human rights. It's human rights. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Yeah. So I was 20 when all of that was going down and I had, I had known, but I just, I mean, I remember my first crush on like, not a movie star, like a human, human, (laughs) (laughs) a a girl, human. (laughs) Um, I remember that happening in middle school 
Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand a single thing about what was going on. Lesbian was the dirty word. And I think I was, I think I might've been 10 ish somewhere around there when Ellen DeGeneres came out. And I remember before she was officially out, there was so much discussion and disgust behind the discussion around how she was quote unquote, butching up. Mm -hmm. She was cutting Mm -hmm. her hair short. She was starting to wear basically the style of clothing that she wears now, the basketball shoes and the, you know, and the nice suits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I'm a, I'm a kid. I don't think anything of it. I'm just like, okay, she's doing. So where did you grow up in California? Were you in the more conservative area? Absolutely. I was in the central Valley. Okay. That's the farming area, right? Yes. The agriculture area. I literally was one town away from, it's really interesting. The things that people, that the cities find to be proud of. So I was not that far away from the town that says we have the most churches per capita in the state. <laughs> Woo-hoo! And then, you know, the other town that I grew up by was the cow- cowboy capital of the state. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so you're so you know even though you know that's the funny thing is that people assume that California is always super liberal, but it's really depending on where you're from. Absolutely. And if you're in the Central Valley and where you're where where you're in the farming and the ranchers are and stuff like that, it is quite conservative. So I can imagine you growing up as a little girl there and hearing all the talk all around you. And if you had moved uh, 200 miles to the West, you probably would have heard a completely different conversation. Yeah. And I did eventually move Mm -hmm. there. I did go to the Bay area for college and so different, so different night and day. (laughs) So, so did you begin to explore your sexuality when you were in college? Yeah, absolutely. So (laughs) everybody experiments in college, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was was experimenting with heterosexuality in Mm -hmm. college. (laughs) (laughs) I did did have a boyfriend for about a year and I, you know, he was the guy I lost my virginity to. And I mean, and being the good Catholic girl that I was supposed to be like, I was like, I'm going to finish up school. We're going to get married. We're going to have children. We're going to do that whole thing. And as things happened, I had, I ended up getting a major crush on a gal that um, I was doing some musical theater over the summer and she was choreographing the show. And we were the only people in the show that were the same age. So Mm -hmm. we hung out a lot and um, we actually ended up singing in church together and I knew that she was accepting and open minded and, you know, all of that stuff. And I just, I I couldn't ignore it anymore. Mm -hmm. And I, so I ended up having to break things off with that boyfriend and I don't know that I did it the best way, but I, you know, there's no easy way to do that. Well, but also to having been that good Catholic girl that married the boy, even though I knew I liked girls, um, I think you did him a huge favor Yeah, because you guys probably would be, you know, probably getting divorced now because this stuff does not go away. Um, You might have 1.2 children, you know, and, and, and it becomes, it, it, 
every time we, anybody comes out, it's complicated. It just becomes a little bit more complicated when there are more and more people involved, you know, like husbands and children and stuff like that. So, um, and also too, Mallory, nobody breaks up with college boyfriend or girlfriend in the best way. <laughs> what do we know at 2021? You well, know? <laughs> I, I, let me share a really quick story with you. My wife, um, you know, her, the first person she really ever had any type of sexual relationship with was with a woman. And so they were together a year, but they didn't even have like, this was you know, back in the mid 1980s, they didn't even, she didn't even have an inkling that they could be together, you know, as boy, as like a girlfriends, you know, they yeah. just it was sort of on the down low kind of thing the entire time. Cause there's no template for that in the 80s. No, there was, especially in Nashville <laughs> in the 80s. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, um, she, uh, she got asked out by a boy and she literally went back to this girl that they've been together for like a year, year and a half. And she said, we don't have to be gay anymore. So-and-so asked me out. <laughs> and she like, to this day, she shudders, like how cruel, like how cruel she was. Like she didn't Not even knowing it, like didn't even know it. Yeah. And, um, oh, and yeah. And so I think most people do that. You know, most people don't do things the best way all the time. Yeah. So how was your family and friends with you? Not that it really matters how, what they thought, but did you have an okay time coming out or was it really difficult with you? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was difficult or yes, I mean, it was a, yes, it was difficult thing. and yes, it was, it, it was both. It was yeah. both essentially, you know, I honestly thought that because my dad and stepmom were more of the churchgoers, like I thought that that conversation was going to be harder than it actually was. And it was actually the hardest with my mom, because I think the thing that we forget about also, so I'm an only child. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with the coming out goes all the dreams that every mom has for their child of like the white wedding, the 2.5 kids, the picket fence, like, like all of that goes with it. And I say that from a place of just, you know, really understanding that it was more that, that there's more to it, that there's, that there's her dreams and her wishes for me that also kind of came crashing down with that. And so I can come from a place of compassion with that now, but I remember at the time feeling like, oh, wow, my mom just doesn't accept me that this is not okay with her. And, and she did actually say like, I'm not happy about it, but I love you. You're my, you're my child. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, mm -hmm. so it wasn't this big dramatic lifetime original movie. I got kicked out and I was homeless and, you know, and I, and I know that there are people out there who have had that experience, but it's it was difficult in its own way because when you grow up the people pleaser the good girl and you are looking for that validation outside of yourself you go your whole life looking for that validation outside of yourself and then the second that you don't get it my world came crashing down too mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um you know and then when i did eventually have the conversation with my dad and stepmom, it was <laughs> It was complicated. So, <laughs> so I feel like um, I can't really leave this part out. Um, I was going to try to talk around it, but I think it just is naturally coming up. 
So in 2007, when I did have that first coming out conversation with my mom and I had my world crashing down around um, not being the good girl anymore, not, you know, my, at some level, my identity burned up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, not having any sort of coping skills at the time, I tried to commit suicide. I made an attempt Mm -hmm. and decided it was time for a fresh start. I needed to go somewhere else. So I ended up moving in with my dad and stepmom who lived in the Bay area, which is the Mm -hmm. perfect area for me to go. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. With no traffic, it would have been 20 minutes to San Francisco, but there's always traffic. So it's like an hour, but still (laughs) close, you know, close to that area where there's a lot more acceptance. And so when I had the conversation with them and I was sort of poking and testing, hey, I'm going to go to this thing. There's this group at school um, that's, you know, for uh, LGBT, it was just LGBT, we were yeah. moving into LGBTQIA, we were moving into that language, but we didn't quite have that yet. Um, and, and they're allies. And so I'm going to go to that. And I was just kind of testing to kind of see their response. and. They're like, okay, cool, have fun. And then my dad straight up asked me, do you, um, do you identify with those people? And I said, yes. And that was a huge reason for um, why I crashed my car into a wall. Mm-hmm. And I remember him getting so angry and he, he, he was very clear. Like he was very clear. I am not angry at you. You are my little girl. You will always be my little girl. I love you. I love you so much. Thank you for telling me. But um, I just remember him being angry because to him, the suicide attempt came out of nowhere. And had he known. Oh my God, Barb, didn't we have a great time at our workshop in January? Things you gotta know. Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. And for those who don't know, this was our workshop for women who are coming out. So many people signed up. It was great connecting with all of those women. And you know what, Emery? I think we should do it again. And we are. So we will be hosting this workshop uh, February 19th through 20th, the 22nd. It's going to be hosted in the evening this time, 7 p.m. Central Time. And if you want to join us, just go to our website, comingoutsupport.net. That's comingoutsupport.net. Signing up is easy, it is free, and it is for any woman who is navigating the challenges of coming out. We'll see you in February. He 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 was he it would have been angry more with, yeah he was angry with him himself and how everything kind of transpired because if he had known he, he i i would have been there you know i would yeah. have been there for you differently kind of thing yeah yeah and so complicated difficult in its in its own way but also highly supportive and amazing and all of my friends were like cool mm-hmm and at some level and at some level most of them are like you know I'm kind of surprised a little bit but not really because now that I think about it um so my best friend growing up she and I she had the hugest crush on Adam Sandler like so whenever we hung out and had sleepovers and whatever we would usually watch an Adam Sandler movie but my person was Was Drew Barrymore Barrymore. (laughs) (laughs) so whenever we couldn't agree on a movie we would just put on the wedding singer (laughs) <laughs> so that way both of us are happy and you know whatever but it's or 50 first dates <laughs> yeah well that didn't come till later 
Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, and if it wasn't Drew Barrymore, it was Nicole Kidman or it was, you know, I mean, I had all of these like women crushes. And so they were like, you know, at some level, we're not actually surprised. <laughs> they knew it before I knew it. Yeah. Even if they didn't know it, know it, you know? <laughs> so you have moved from, you know, it's funny because as a coach, you call yourself for recovering people pleasers. So let's hear a little bit more about who you coach and, and what do you coach about? Well, I definitely zeroed in on recovering people pleasers because a lot of the people that come to me are, I mean, they had a very, maybe not a coming out experience, but they had a similar experience where they did all the things, they got their degrees, they got their careers going, maybe they got a house, maybe they're in a partnership of some kind, and then they wake up one day and they go, what am I doing here? Is this it? Yeah. <laughs> is this yeah. all that there is? Mm -hmm. And they just have this recognition and this knowing that they want the something more mm -hmm. because they checked off the list and they're still not fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I understand that. <laughs> and so, I mean, and that was my journey. I had lived my life for everybody else around me. And then for me, I mean, I consider myself lucky because I was 21 when I started questioning, mm -hmm. who is this for? Mm -hmm. Who am I living my life for? Because it's not for me. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so that happened a little younger for me. It's, it seems like it starts happening more in people's 30s that they start kind well, of yeah, really. Usually, yeah, it's usually between 35 and 55 because yeah. That's midlife for people. Mm -hmm. Some people are on the older side of midlife. Um, but the thing is, is that it's part of develop our, de uh, our, our developmental design. It is normal and it is purposeful that we question in midlife. Like, yeah. wait a minute. You know, I was told to do this, this, and this, and I would be happy. And I did this, this, and this, and I'm not happy. Or there's something missing, or there's something I'm longing for. And I don't know what it is. You know, those are the questions people ask at midlife. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And when I figured out that life could actually be about pleasure, that mm -hmm. changed everything. <laughs> that right. changed so tell everything. So tell <laughs> me about that. Yeah. Um, how did you, so how did you figure that out and how do you bring that into your coaching business? <laughs> so I started questioning rules and all the things that were being fed and all of the things that were being told. My coming out was absolutely a propeller in that direction because then all of a sudden you're in the queer world where it's like there's not as many rules there's no well it's like you have to renegotiate gender roles you have yes. to renegotiate you know all of the all of the things that we just sort of accept as truth right. um all starts coming into question all of it um and i started questioning that and yet still really craved rules Mm -hmm. um, so my personal development journey is kind of all over the place. I started with, you know, 
more mindset stuff. I've moved into more spirituality and, uh, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church and I, I think it, I think this is a common experience for queer folks too. And you're constantly being told that you're going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have a super great relationship with anything in the beyond. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started, I moved more into, I, I don't even know if you could call it Wicca and more pagan and started learning and loving and accepting that, you know, divinity can be in all forms. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. thank you, Catholic Church, for having such a, such a focus on Mother Mary Mm-hmm. because that like she was really my in you know she was my gateway into uh goddess worship well they <laughs> have a, kind of the opposite of that they were trying to do but <laughs> well I think that that why Mary speaks so uh, people who grow up in the Catholic church why Mary is so important to them is because she represents the divine feminine mm-hmm. which is so so lacking and also too i think that it's so male dominated we're just looking for a woman to be you know and and so i think there's a couple of reasons why mary is so so um i mean i used to love mary as a child too and you know would do the may stuff and all that things like that and um but i realized that i had a hunger for um, femininity that was spiritual that, I mean, I had hunger for spirituality that represented me and my femininity and, and Mary did that. And so I don't think that's why the Catholic church has her there. (laughs) Well, you know, they have her there because she's the mother of of Jesus Christ and she's the biggest intercessor that Jesus Christ has. And, um, but, but I think that's why people people fall in love with Mary so much. Yeah, and I'm still in love with Mary. I like I, that part has not left me. I don't know if you can see up there, but that's the Our Lady of Fatima. Yeah. Yeah. I see that up there. Yeah. So, behind yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mallory's pointing behind her and showing a picture of the Lady of Fatima for the um, for the audio um, recording. <laughs> oh, okay, for the audio recording. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, that statue that's over there is uh was actually my grandmother's. And mm-hmm. when she passed, I was like, this is the only thing that I want because mm-hmm. I was in love with that story as a, as a little girl. Um, I, I was like angry with God since I was about nine because that's when I went through puberty and, you know, um, so all my prayers went to Mary because I was like, mm-hmm. I feel like you're the only one who can understand <laughs> yeah. all my prayers went to Mary. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, back to your original question, you know, how. I was looking for the rules. And Mm -hmm. so I, you know, I was doing all this mindset work because mindset is everything. I saw that everywhere and I heard that everywhere. Then I started moving more into spiritual spaces, um, therapy for emotional regulation and completely bypassing my physical body. I think that's the important thing to, to kind of note. My body was just, it was there. Yeah, Yeah, it was there. Um, and for me, it's actually been a really major shift in the last three-ish years where, okay, my body is on board and now all of these things can kind of integrate. And I think, you know, our, our physical bodies, particularly pleasure in our physical bodies is 
how we can kind of land those things mm -hmm. and embody them mm -hmm. with our physical bodies. <laughs> um, so pleasure was kind of actually the last stone to turn for mm -hmm. me because mm -hmm. I didn't want to look at that. And mm -hmm. I think that's kind of true for a lot of people because we just, no matter your sexual orientation, we just get a lot of really shitty well, messages about sex. Well, and, <laughs> and in Christianity or well, in Catholicism, let's just talk about Catholicism. In Catholicism, I mean, there's the whole Madonna whore thing and, yep. you know, and, and both you and I love the Madonna, which is Mary, if you don't know that. Yeah. But um, the thing is, is that like my messages were so, my messages about sex were so messed up like my mother really believed you should wait till you get married and stuff like that so when I had sex outside of marriage the first time because you know I was a child of the or you know the 1980s and you know people were doing that back then and they're still doing it now and um and I just it was okay I was like what's all the fuss about like I couldn't like, and, and being queer was so outside my wheelhouse. I just sort of chalked it up for like, oh, well, I guess this is what it's like, yeah. you know? I mean, like, and, and so, and there's such shame and guilt around sex. So if you've been told your whole life, you're not have, supposed to have sex until after you're married and then you have sex, then you're, there's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and even it's real hard to have pleasure when you're in throes of guilt and shame when you're having sex with somebody. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, so I'm an erotic blueprint coach and training. You read that in my, uh, bio mm -hmm. earlier at the, at the intro. And I, I stumbled upon that at a time where I still did not want to look at sex. I'm literally looking at something called the erotic blueprints. And I'm interested in the work and I don't want to talk about sex. <laughs> how did you, how did you get through your, how did you get out of your comfort zone and go through your fear zone to talk about that? What happened for you? Well, what happened was I started seeing the applications to life outside of the bedroom before I started seeing the applications or wanting to see the applications to everything in the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And when I could kind of wrap my brain around that and I started seeing how my life was shifting, I was like, what if I started applying this to my actual physical body and how I engage with myself as a lover? Mm -hmm. And it's just rocked my world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. It has rocked my world in and, a way I could never have anticipated. Well, what's really interesting too, I, let me see if I can articulate this right, is that when people don't know much about queer existence, they just reduce it to sex. The only reason we're gay is because we want to have sex with certain types of people that, that are not uh, heterosexual. And and it's what is it, what I'm hearing now, which is so interesting. You knew you were gay from a really young age, but you didn't really like enjoy being with your partners until you started to really embrace your own self and your own, you know, like 
like like there's this big myth out there that like I'm just gonna say lesbian sex because just for this description I mean they they fetishize it and mm-hmm. and so there's it's and that's not what by folks that's not what lesbian sex is like <laughs> that you see in porn just not <laughs> it can be a little bit but no and um and then the thing is is that um you know people just fetishize it and think it's all about sex and it's not and what i'm hearing from you is that even though you identified being a lesbian for a long time sex wasn't that great until you started to recognize some of the things in yourself that you needed to work on. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the first time that I ever had sex with a woman. Immediately, it's like had the orgasm. It was amazing. And then went, I I was looking up at the ceiling, waiting for lightning to strike me dead, Mm -hmm. literally waiting for lightning to strike me dead. And it never came. Mm-hmm. And that fear every time I engaged was there. It, you're not connecting with your partner mm-hmm. when, when that's the dominant thought in your in your mind, you're not connecting. Mm-hmm. And even if there is a conversation about it, even if there is, if, if you can't let it go, it's still walking into the bedroom with you. Right, right. So you had to learn to give up your internalized homophobia. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which was pretty deep and probably you probably weren't aware of it either. Right. No, I had no idea. I had no idea. Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess internalize is the best way of talking, the best way of describing it, because I, you know, I can look back on you know, I had a lot of queer friends. I found, I found the queers on campus when I was in college, like, and we all yeah, just, like, like in the same area of campus and hung right. out with each other and had these really open conversations about sex and intimacy. And I would be cheering them on for all of their things. And deep down inside, I'd be like, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. What's wrong with me? And so, uh, it, so it took you until you're until you were like 30 ish to Mm -hmm. really realize about the guilt and shame you had about being queer. Mm -hmm. And then once you sort of figured all that out and like, let go of it, then you were more able to enjoy your queerness, especially in the bedroom. Yeah. And probably (laughs) outside the bedroom too. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing about this and the, and the, and the gift of the coming out for me is that, you know, the recovering people pleaser, it's like, here's this thing about me that I cannot change. No. Would not change if I could, it would not change if I could, but here's something that I actually cannot change. It's like asking me, <laughs> I don't know, to like remove a leg. Like, you you can't, no, you can't. can't. Like I said in the beginning, I think when the beginning we were talking, it will follow you forever. Right. Yeah, it just follows you. So you can't change it. Um, It it follows you. And so your thought was Mallory. And so my thought around that was, okay, here's this thing about me that not everybody is going to like. And I started being able to kind of apply that to other areas. Well, other people aren't going to like that 
I don't know, whatever the yeah. thing is, mm -hmm. like whatever the too much is, the thing, you know, the thing that I'm too, I laugh too loud or they're not going to like these other things about me. How, like, can I apply this learning to these other areas? And I found that I could. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of healing that got to take place because of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it gets to so, be beautiful. <laughs> After the hardship, it gets to be beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that um, what I thought when I came out is that I thought that people that had come out when they were young or way before me had it all figured out before me and, and they didn't, you know, and that's been really life. Um, it's been really interesting for me because someone may have been out 40 years, but they haven't dealt with their internalized or homophobia. Yeah. You know, they still have a lot of shame around the fact that they're gay. Um, they've had a lot of trauma. Um, in their past, whether they're gay or straight, and they haven't dealt with it. So it's still affecting their joy and their pleasure and all those things like that. And so um, the biggest learning for me is that not everybody has it all figured. <laughs> Just because someone's gone down the road before you doesn't mean they have all their stuff together. You and know? I would argue that nobody has all of their stuff figured no, out. Not absolutely. a single person out there. And if they are, they're lying. I have curiosity. I have curiosity about that. <laughs> so recovering. Okay. I'm going to ask one question before we end. How can you recognize yourself? Okay. So someone's sitting out here listening to this and I know what you mean by a people pleaser because I am a recovering people pleaser. So I totally get it. Um, but have somebody's out here saying, what the heck is a people pleaser? How can someone identify themselves as a people pleaser? Um, how much resentment is showing up in your life? Mm -hmm. That's a really great question to ask yourself if you're curious. And, and I would say that if you're wondering if you are a people pleaser, mm -hmm. you probably are. Um, it's just so ingrained in us. Um, and, and I'm speaking specifically for as somebody who was socialized to be a woman, Ooh. a caregiver, you know, all of the things that women are socialized to be. Um, I would be hard to hard pressed to find someone socialized that way who didn't have some kind of people pleasing tendencies at all. How do because people pleasing tendencies differ in men? Because there are men that are people pleasers. Oh, too. absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the challenge in the sex coaching world that I I hear about most often with men is the good boy syndrome um, often affects how assertive they feel like they can be because they don't want to be predatory. And so their, their, you know, their Madonna whore is probably more along the lines of, you know, predator and not predator, like, right. like mm -hmm. they don't have a foundation for consent asking and that kind of, you know, they don't, they don't have that framework to work in, to work right. with. Right. Um, and, you know, I would say with, uh, I, 
I, I would say that that's probably more where the good the good boy people pleasing tendencies can kind of show up with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at least that's what I see and that's been my experience mm -hmm. I don't want to speak for all men out there no. <laughs> you know? um, I, I have an article that I wrote in my blog piece um, about men and divorce and it's called good guy and it's where men do not want to be perceived as the person that's causing the divorce and so they want to be perceived as the good guy and so when sometimes when their wife comes out even though there has been, um, you know, a lot of problems in the marriage over year over the years, everything mm -hmm. gets fir placed firmly on the wife's gay shoulders, or vice versa, yeah. or vice versa. Not, you know, and and because they want to make sure everybody knows it's not their fault that they got divorced. Yeah. And so I think our men really struggle with people pleasing in the sense they always want to be good guys. Yeah. You know yeah. that they have to be. You know they they can't want a divorce because good guys don't want a divorce, you yeah. know? So, so I'm going to throw you a couple curveballs because I, um, Mallory was on my other podcast, Queer Business Success. So you can hear more about our business on that one. So I said, oh, don't worry about filling out the form for coming out and beyond. And, but so these are the three questions I ask everybody at the end of the show. So do you have a coming out song? <laughs> Um, oh gosh, I'm so blanking on the title, but it's like the coming out anthem by the Indigo Girls. Oh, Closer uh, to Fine? Closer, closer to Fine, yes. That, <laughs> that was it. I remember listening to that on repeat when I was like, I was 21. I was newly 21. No. The first Dinosaur Weekend I got to go to, mm -hmm. the day one of that Dinosaur Weekend was my 21st birthday. So I was listening to that song on repeat, driving down to Palm Springs, and yeah, that was it. <laughs> For those who don't know, tell people what the Dinosaur Weekend is. Oh gosh, it's a big lesbian, lesbian gathering. <laughs> and there's lots and lots of lesbians of all shapes and sizes. Absolutely. And yeah, I was really and ages that. too. Yeah, and I was really into that website. Um, they closed down for a while, but I think they opened up again after Ellen.com. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. there were a lot of queer um, uh, like comedians that were doing vlogs on there. You know, this is way before TikTok and all these things that have evolved since then. Um, but I was like a constant consumer of all of the website uh, content on that, mm -hmm. on that website. And so I got to meet some of those people in person. I got to meet Jane Lynch. Mm -hmm. um yeah okay it was fun <laughs> lots of fun um uh do you have a book or a movie that really profoundly changed your life that when you mm -hmm. read it you said uh or you had such an aha moment with it um imagine me and you mm -hmm. uh, why because i think that was the first um i'm crying um I think that was the first thing that I saw that really gave me hope. Hope. Yeah. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it, but you know, there was so much out there that was so dark at the time that mm -hmm. ended up, you know, the stories ended with somebody committing suicide or dying from a long illness. Like there yeah. was no happy ending lesbian literature out there. And so when I encountered that movie, 
and there was a happy ending and there was a romance and it followed that rom-com story romance story yeah. yeah i think i just i had hope i like that's a that's a very cute movie you know it's a great movie too it's an old lesbian movie called desert hearts it's from the 80s you need to go and watch it because okay. my wife and i so my wife and so you know i came out later and so like i luckily she like said you need a lesbian education so I watched <laughs> movies that were from when she was like a young lesbian and stuff like that and um so she was like oh you gotta and you know she was like oh they're all so bad the same the same thing you are you know everybody dies you know someone yeah. dies of cancer or yeah. someone commits you know somebody completes suicide or something like that and so I watched we watched Desert Hearts together and it was actually was like this is actually a really good movie. It was from the 1980s. There's a happy ending. It's 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 an it's an opaque happy ending, but you know you have to watch it. So you got to watch okay. that. And it's and, it. and there's some really great scenes too. I mean, they don't skimp on the scenes. So <laughs> I know <laughs> it's, it's actually a great it's a great lesbian movie, and I highly recommend everyone who is over 30 to go under 30 to go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how would you describe your death, uh, your life today, Mallory? Uh, so beyond anything that I could have conceived for myself. Mm -hmm. um, life is good. <laughs> so I will end it at that. Mallory, thank you so much for coming out on the show today and sharing your late, your uh, coming out story and a little bit about what you do with your business. How can people find you? Yeah, so I am the joy goddess on TikTok and Instagram. And MalloryKirsten.com is my website. All of my social handles are on there as well. And on Facebook, which is where I most frequent, it's Mallory.Kirsten.888. Great. Thank you, Mallory. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA plus stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzel.com.